but I'm, I'm really excited to get to, uh, to lead our time as we journey through the next leg of our trek through Roots 66, our series on different books, uh, surveys of different books of the scriptures. So I would uh, ask you to please turn or tap your way to the book of First Chronicles chapter 1. First Chronicles chapter 1. And let's, uh, as you're getting there, uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the holy God. There is none like you in all the earth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for giving us the book of First Chronicles. Thank you for the opportunity to get to, to look into your truth in this wonderful, wonderful part of Scripture. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things out of your word. I pray you would be at work in our hearts that your word, as we look at it tonight, would penetrate into our hearts and it would find ready soil that is ready to then sprout out fruit of your word in our lives for your glory, for our good, and for the praise of your name in all the earth. We pray that you would get all of the glory in this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as you are um, perhaps still navigating to First Chronicles, it's uh, right before Second Chronicles, if that's helpful to find where it is, right after Second Kings. And as you're getting there, listen to these likely familiar words from Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed, and all scripture is profitable. I know we at our church, we as Christians, treasure these truths about God's word. But I think as we work our way through the scriptures, this is sometimes easier to see and heartily amen than other times. God breathed and profitable. Uh, the Gospels, Romans, Hebrews, Titus, Psalms, Proverbs, yes. But, but what about the other parts of the Bible? What about where we find ourselves tonight in First Chronicles? First and Second Chronicles were originally written as one single book. Records recording chronicling the events of the history of Israel from the time of, really beginning at the time of Adam, until the end of the Babylonian captivity. And as you read through First and Second Chronicles, one of the things that you will notice is there's a good amount of repetition from the earlier writings in the historical books that we've already looked together. In fact, First Chronicles parallels much of the books of Samuel, but primarily Second Samuel, and Second Chronicles, as we'll, we'll look at more next time, parallels the books of First and Second Kings. So as you read through them, maybe you've had this experience as you've gone through your yearly read it through the Bible, you might get to the book of First Chronicles and ask, why is this here? What's the point of retelling the story? I just finished Samuel and First and Second Kings, and here we are again. What exactly is Chronicles chronicling? 
Well, one wrong way to approach Chronicles is is to view it as some sort of source material for some individual texts that you might just extract meaning out of. And unfortunately, I think this has happened with uh, the popularity of books such as the Prayer of Jabez or um, books reflecting on the significance of a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And passages found in 1 Chronicles, which do have meaning and are important, but that is within the larger context of Chronicles as a whole. I think a better approach is to ask, I know this is supposed to be here. I know it has a purpose, but what is it? What are the things revealed in Chronicles and and what would they have revealed to the audience at the time of the marvelous character of God? What did the people who were the original recipients of First and Second Chronicles, what did they need to hear to guide life and godliness for them in their day? And what about us? What significance does it have for my knowledge of God or my daily walk? We know that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, and this is here because it needs to be here, but why? And without good answers to these questions, I think Chronicles may remain for many believers as one of the most underappreciated portions of Scripture, one of the parts that you might even be tempted to kind of breeze through in your reading plan, but one that is full of precious and profitable treasure for our souls. So as we begin considering the the purpose and the treasure to be found in 1 Chronicles tonight, let's consider the setting of its writing. If you look through the book of 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and looking at references to names and events after the time of the Babylonian captivity, um, this, is, this uh, comes through in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 3 and chapter 9 and also at the end of 2 Chronicles. Uh, these two books were likely written around the middle to the late 400s BC. This was during the time where the Jewish people were beginning to return from the Babylonian captivity. In terms of the author of Chronicles, uh, it may have been written by Ezra or by perhaps another scribe during that time period, but they're written to the people of Israel who are returning to the land of Israel to establish their lives back in their homeland. And this is after a time of great crisis and upheaval. They've been out of the land, removed for 70 years. Remember how we've seen this in the book of Kings how the first, the northern kingdom of Israel had been sent into exile at the hand of Assyria. Uh, of Assyria. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 25, recounts this for, for part of the tribes. It's referring to some of the tribes being taken into captivity. First uh, Chronicles 5, 25 recounts, but they acted treacherously against the God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, even the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he carried them away into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then later, the southern kingdom of Judah, which remained faithful to the Lord a little longer, nevertheless turned away from the Lord, and they were, as it says in 1 Chronicles 9.1, carried away into exile to Babylon for their unfaithfulness. We saw the people of God abandon the God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt in the Exodus, who had defeated their enemies before them, who had preserved them through the times of the judges and given them the kingdom of Israel, and they 
turned away from the Lord. But God, in his faithfulness, allowed his people to return to the land, beginning in the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. And that's recounted at the end of 2 Chronicles. It ends with the decree of Cyrus of Persia that the people of Israel would be able to return to the land. And now the people of Israel have been returning to the land. And under the leadership of people like Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, they've begun to rebuild Jerusalem, its walls, and the temple. But they've been exiled from the land of Israel and under God's just judgment for 70 years. And now the next generation is coming to the land and perhaps wondering, how exactly are we supposed to do this? How are we to live. They are returning to a land that is nowhere near its former glory. How were they to move on, to move forward past such catastrophe? So much had been broken and shattered, and so much there would really never be a going back. And perhaps they, they may have asked, what about God's promises and his purposes for his people? Did they fail? Did they continue Yes, the Lord's glory cloud had departed from the temple, but was he still their God? Was he still, were they still his people? And in the midst of this setting, in the midst of this environment, the books of Chronicles provide more than just a, a rehashing of all that went well and all that went wrong in Israel's history. They could read Samuel and Kings to see that, but Chronicles has a much bigger purpose, I think. Chronicles, in a sense, is a retelling of all of redemptive history up to that point with a clear message that God's plans and purposes for Israel, for his covenant people, were not broken by their sin. In Chronicles, you get a sense of God's view of his people, seen through the lens of, of God's view of the kings. Specifically in 1 Chronicles, we see God's view of David. That's the main theme of 1 Chronicles. And the next time we'll see God's view of the kings of Judah. So as we begin to look at 1 Chronicles, which is, could be summarized as God's view of David, I think there is also a, a broader and even more timeless message that runs throughout this book, which, is, which was essential for the original audience and also is for us. And I think it's this, that despite the failures of God's people, God's gracious promises and God's glorious purposes for his people do not fail. Despite the failures of God's people, God's gracious promises, God's glorious purposes for his people do not fail. They are still in place. God's plan for his people is still in place. And I hope as we, as we do a brief survey of 1 Chronicles tonight, you see how this theme is woven throughout. Chronicles is a retelling of Israel's history that puts the steadfast love and the, faithful, the faithfulness of the Lord on display. We've been thinking a lot about that in recent days, how the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. Great is his faithfulness, and we see that in the book of Chronicles. So if you're keeping notes, I think you can see this begin to unfold even in the overall organization of First Chronicles, which can be broken up into two main parts. The first looks at the royal line of David as we consider God's view of David and the way we see that God's gracious promises and purposes are still intact. We see the royal line of David in 1 Chronicles 1 
through 9, chapters 1 through 9. And then the second main division, you see the righteous reign of David in chapters 10 through 29. So the first main section, chapters 1 through 9, the royal line of David. And then secondly, the righteous reign of David in chapters 10 through 29. Chapters 1 through 9 are very much chronicles, chronicleness. I don't know if that's the right word for that. When you think of the book of Chronicles, perhaps you think of chapters 1 through 9. If you're looking for a, uh, a short Bible verse to memorize that you'll be able to find where it is, 1 Chronicles 1.1, Adam, Seth, Enosh. Three words, you just learned a Bible verse. And it continues, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, etc., etc., chapter upon chapter of names and names and more names. And perhaps this is where some, I think as I've heard, I heard someone commenting on the book of Chronicles. I think they said something along the lines of the genealogies at the beginning of Chronicles are where the good intentions to read this book go to die. You may not make it past these, but there is so much to be seen. And what I want to do is read every name. No, not read every name of chapters one through nine, but rather give us a, a kind of a cursory overview of these chapters. What's happening here? What we are seeing here is beginning with Adam, we see a retelling of God's interactions with the peoples of the earth, beginning with all of the peoples of the earth in Adam, and then beginning to slowly narrow down to one particular family, and then one particular descendant of that family through whom the Lord is planning to reveal his great glory. So chapter one, we see genealogy from Adam to Abraham, and then from Abraham to Jacob. In chapter two, we see the 12 sons of Israel and begin to even see the genealogy of David, which continues into chapter 3. So chapter 1, we begin with the genealogy of all of humanity, and by the end of chapter 3, we have come to the family of King David, who we will focus on with the, the rest of the book of Chronicles. And then chapters 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, recount the heritage of the different tribes of the people of Israel. And perhaps the largest section of that being devoted to chapter, in chapter 6 to the priestly line in the family of Levi. There's also a, a large amount of focus on the tribe of Judah. Why the tribe of Judah? Why the tribe of Levi? More on that in just a second. And then we end after recounting in chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, the different tribes of Israel. We end in chapter 9 with a recounting of the Israelites, the priests, and the Levites who have now returned from exile to dwell in Jerusalem. So while these nine chapters might be daunting because of all the names that are hard to pronounce in English, and maybe they're hard to pronounce in Hebrew as well, but don't miss the big picture. In these accounts, it is tying the people who are returning from the land to all of history, of Israel's history that has come before. 
the people of Israel living in Babylon who were descendants of Issachar would hear in the retelling of the family of Issachar their forebearers, names included in God's word. And the family who were descended from Levi, those who could remember the stories perhaps of their great, great forebearers who served in the temple, who served as priests, who served as Levites, hearing their family names recounted and remembering that they are still part of that family. The charge of God, of his choosing of the people of Israel, continues to the day of the returning exiles. And throughout this, we see again and again and again God's sovereign grace, God's choosing of some for his purposes. Of all the descendants of Adam, he chooses Seth. Of all the descendants of Noah, he chooses Shem, and then he chooses Abraham. And then we begin to see here are some of the descendants of Ishmael and some of of Keturah, but no, we're going to continue to follow the descendants of Isaac. And we begin to see some of the descendants of Esau, but then we continue to see the descendants of Jacob. And then it is not rebellious Reuben who is chosen, but the birthright goes to Joseph and the rulership goes to Judah. Then fast forward to the family of David. It's not the firstborn of Jesse's house that is chosen, but the seventh son. And then David becomes the covenant king. And who is his heir? Not his firstborn, Amnon, but the fourth son of his wife, Bathsheba, a man named Solomon. In each of these cases, I think it it jumps out that God is the one who is choosing who he will use. And he has chosen this family and this nation to reveal his glory. And the people of Israel needed to remember that they were part of that plan of redemption. And we see, as I mentioned, this extended section referring to the family of Levi, reminding them that God's choice of the people of Levi, who would be the priests and the servants, those who would be the mediators of the worship of God, that was not broken. And Christian, I think that this should be an encouragement to us. We see God's faithfulness, his choosing. Sometimes we, you might wonder, you know, is, is this something that just the New Testament made up, that that God is uh, choosing who he will serve. No, it is rooted throughout Scripture from beginning to end. God's choice of who he will save and how he will work is for his great glory and out of his graciousness alone, and he keeps his promises. We see here then the royal line of David. David was chosen to be a special king in God's eyes. That's what we see that the royal line of David in chapters one through nine. And then the rest of the book of First Chronicles, beginning in chapter 10, we see the second section, which is the righteous reign of David. The righteous reign of David. And this is the, by far the largest section. And it, it roughly parallels 2 Samuel. But as you read 1 Chronicles 10 through 29, we see a focus, as I've mentioned, as on God's view of David as king, of David as the righteous king. We don't see a recounting of all of David's failures. We see some of them, but not all of his failures and faults are recounted here. Instead, we see David presented as as the pattern of the righteous king and sort of the one whom future righteous kings would, in a sense, emulate some of what David 
demonstrated. And ultimately, the life of David points to David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless, the perfect, righteous king who was yet to come. This section of the, the righteous reign of David begins with the defeat and death of Saul in chapter 10. David is then made king in, in chapter 11, made king over all Israel. Chapter 11, 1. Look, turn there to chapter 11, verse 1 of First Chronicles. Verse 1, Then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord, your God, said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. David was going to be the shepherd king of his people. And then chapter 11 continues and chapter 12 continues with you might consider this a, a summary of the political support for King David as his supporters are coming to him and gathering in different regions in the land of Israel, all pointing to what would then be the, the next main section of, of this part of First Chronicles. Beginning in chapter 13, we see David restoring the worship of God's people. Chapter 13 recounts the transporting of the Ark of the Covenant. And here we see a reminder of what happened when they moved the Ark of God, not according to God's instructions. And we see the account in verse 9, where Uzzah puts out his hand to, to steady the Ark before it falls, and the anger of the Lord burns against Uzzah and strikes him down because he put out his hand to the Ark, and he died there before God. It says in verse 12 of chapter 13, David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? And so for a time, the ark dwells in the house of Obed-Edom until David makes, continues to make preparations until finally moves the ark to Jerusalem in chapter 16. Chapter 16. And in this section, as, as David is bringing the ark back and placing it in a more central location, restoring the worship of God's people before the ark. One lesson that comes out from this section really reflects God's graciousness and his care for his people. Look at, look at the difference between those who follow the Lord, those who seek after the Lord, like David, and those who seek to worship the Lord and follow the Lord in their own way. Listen to these words from First uh, Chronicles chapter 10 at the death of Saul. Listen to how First Chronicles recounts Saul's death. So Saul died for his trespasses, which he committed against the Lord because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium making inquiry of it and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom of David, uh, the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. That's 1 Chronicles 13, uh, 10, 13, and 14. Notice that Saul did not inquire of the Lord. Instead, he went a different way. He went his own way to seek to do what was right. 
And David, reflecting on the account of, of the striking down of Uzzah in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 12, said to them, You are the heads of the father's households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it, because you did not carry it at the first. The Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance." Here in this section of 1 Chronicles, there are these two accounts where people do not seek after the Lord, and there are serious consequences of it. A lesson that the people returning to the land needed to remember from their history of the consequences that they should remember of those who do not seek after the Lord and seek to walk in his ways. Put that in contrast to the exhortations to seek the Lord and the praise of God whom we should seek that we see in chapter 16. Chapter 16 recounts a psalm of thanksgiving that David sings and, and, and commissions to be sung after the ark is brought back to the people of God. Turn to 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8. I want to read through this section because in this song, we see those central themes of God's gracious promises, persisting God's glorious plans continuing to his people. As David, as, as the song sings praise to God, this song of thanksgiving in 1 Chronicles 16, 8 is actually, parts of it are found again in the Psalter in Psalm, 6, uh, Psalm 96, Psalm 105, and Psalm 106. But together, they praise the Lord and point the audience of that day and ours to the steadfast love and glory of God. Listen to these words in 1 Chronicles 16.8 and read along with me in your copy of God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When you were only a few in number, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another, he permitted no man to oppress them. And he reproved kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. 
Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him, all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord Yahweh reigns. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, amen, and praised the Lord. This prayer was for the people in David's day as the ark had returned and they were praising the God who had delivered them from Egypt and who had given them the land. And this song was to be stirring in the hearts of the exiles returning after the Babylonian captivity to remember that the Lord is God and he has purposes for his people and he is to be worshiped in all the earth among the nations. And friend, this song should be the song of our hearts We should ascribe to the Lord, families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. First Chronicles 16 is here for us to worship the Lord and to point our hearts toward the God who redeems his people, whose loving kindness is everlasting. This truth was for them and it is for us. May I just encourage you, if you're ever struggling In what should I pray? How should I pray? Go to 1 Chronicles 16 and sing this song in your heart to the Lord. You choose the tune that you put it to. But this prayer of David is to point the worshipers of his day, the people coming back to the land and us today, to the character of God, his precious promises and his glorious plans of redemption. And then this sets the, the tone, if, you, if, if it were, for what comes next in 1 Chronicles 17, and that's the recounting of the Davidic covenant, the covenant of God and his gracious promises to David. Look in 1 Chronicles 17, uh, beginning, let's begin in verse 7. Now, therefore, thus Shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be leader over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make you a name like the name of the great ones who are in the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and not be moved again. And the wicked will not waste them anymore as formerly. Uh, Verse 10, moreover, I say to you that the Lord will build a house for you. These are the words of the prophet Nathan to David. Verse 11, when your days are fulfilled that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house. He shall build for me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son and I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it from him who was before you. 
but I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. God made promise to David of a forever king, of a forever household. And it might have looked in the moment to the people of Israel returning from the land like that promise was no more because they have returned to the land and there is no king in Jerusalem. But yet Judea is now a province of Persia and they are under the Persian king. So what about this promise? I think the retelling of this in 1 Chronicles is to remind the people in the day of the return from captivity that God's promise, when he says that he makes a promise to David, he is making this promise to David. It would take some time, though, for them to see that promise fulfilled. But friend, that promise has been fulfilled. This promise to David of a forever king has been made in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a little spoiler alert. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. David responds to this with a prayer of praise, of humility. Again, we see God's view of David as he is responding to God's gracious choice. Verse 18, what more can David say to you concerning the honor bestowed on your servant? For you know your servant, O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have wrought all this greatness to make known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. That should be the cry of our heart to God's gracious gift and God's grace toward us. And then beginning in chapter 18 of 1 Chronicles, we see the kingdom of David begin to expand as his enemies, uh, as his kingdom is strengthened in chapter 18. Chapter 19, his enemies are defeated. In chapter 20, there is war and victory over the Philistine giants and everything is looking great. But chapter 21 reminds us of David's pride and David's sin. As it says in 1 Chronicles 21, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. As a side note, this is not a devil made me do it moment. David is responsible for his choice in this. But the, the writer here is pointing out what's also going on behind the scenes, the opposition against God's people. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring me word that I may know their number. And Joab protests this, and, but the king's word prevailed against Joab and he began to number the people of Israel. And as, as you may remember, as we looked at 2 Samuel, and we see the consequences of this, uh, or as we looked in the books of Samuel, as we saw the consequences of this, the Lord judged David's sin in this way, and he graciously offered him his choice of what the punishment would be. Would it be famine or war or three days of pestilence? And David threw himself upon the mercy of the Lord and chose pestilence. And a three-day pestilence caused 70,000 men to fall. David's sin, the righteous king, whose righteous reign we are being reminded of, was nevertheless not a perfect king. And his sin had great consequences, as all sin does. 
But something that is pointed out here in 1 Chronicles is what is David's response to this? And this, his response is to plead to the Lord to pardon his sin and to seek to make atonement for the sin. And where this happens is critical. 1 Chronicles 21 recounts how the angel of the Lord commanded Gad, the seer, Gad, the prophet, to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. All right? So David goes and he goes to Ornan and, and, and seeks to purchase this threshing floor on this hill in Jerusalem. And Ornan says, oh, take it for yourself. Here's, here's the oxen for the burst offerings and you can have the threshing sledges for wood. And David says, no, 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 I will surely buy it for the full price. I will not take what's yours and give it to the Lord. So he pays 600 shekels of gold for the site. And then look with me in 1 Chronicles 21, 26. Look what David does. It says, Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in its sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Oren and the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offering were in the high place at Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord. And see what David says next in 1 Chronicles 22, 1. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And it was on that site, the site of the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, is where the temple would one day be built. So why this recounting of this, of this event in 1 Chronicles? I think what this would have done in the minds of the people returning to the land and should even for us point us to the centrality of the need for atonement. David needed atonement for his sin. It took sacrifice to stay the wrath of God. And God accepted that sacrifice. And that was the place where the temple, the permanent dwelling of God was going to be built on a very place that was a symbol of God's mercy and his atoning sacrifice and forgiveness of sin. So that the people returning to the land, when they saw that rebuilt temple, even in its diminished glory, nowhere near the glory of Solomon's temple, they were to remember that that temple sits on the location. That temple is the place where atonement is really made. The Lord forgives transgression, iniquity, and sin through the mediating sacrifices that he established. And we are to remember the work of atonement. Yes, pictured in the Old Testament sacrificial system, but ultimately fulfilled in the once for all sacrifice of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Then begins in chapter 22, David's preparations for the temple. And he charges his son Solomon with the task. It was not David's to build the temple, 
But David here in chapter 22, in chapter 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, David begins to make the preparations, the materials for the temple. Chapter 23, he begins to set up the offices of the Levites, the Gershonites, the Kohathites, the Merarites. Chapter 24, the divisions of the Levites. Chapter 25, the numbers and services of musicians, the divisions of the musicians. Chapter 26, the divisions of the gatekeepers, the keepers of the treasure, uh, the, those who had outside duties, commanders of the army, officers, various overseers, and counselors. And all of these recounting of name after name, duty, office, role, to remind the people coming back to the land that the Lord has a plan for how they are to worship him. There is centrality of worship and worship not man's way, but worship God's way. The people were able to come back out of the land and know how are we supposed to organize this endeavor? Are, are we supposed to make something up and do something new? No, we are to continue to worship the Lord as he established at the hand of his king at the hand of King David. And then the book, the book of 1 Chronicles begins to close in chapter 28 with David's magnificent address at the, in, in a sense, is sort of a pre-dedication of the work of the temple. Uh, look at chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 5. As David writes, All of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen, of, of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. I will establish his kingdom forever if he resolutely performs my commandments and my ordinances as is done now. So now in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek after all the commandments. Notice, observe and seek after all the commandments of the Lord your God, so that you may possess the good land and bequeath it to your sons after you forever. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. What a prayer of this king to his son. And friend, I would exhort you the same way that you might know the God of the scriptures and that you would serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind because the Lord searches all hearts. He knows your hearts and the intents and, and he understands every intent of your thoughts and mine. And if you seek him, if you come to the Father through Jesus the Son, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, if you, having heard the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, friend here in this room right now listening to my voice, 
If you have heard this and have chosen to turn your back to it, the Lord will reject you forever if you die in your sins. And I plead with you that you would hear from the, the words of 1 Chronicles 28, a call to come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And notice, continuing in chapter 28, verse 20, what David says to his son. Chapter 28, 20. Then David said to his son Solomon, be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. David made all of these preparations and he charged his son. And the recounting of all of this in 1 Chronicles reminds the people, was, I think, to remind the people returning to the land of Israel that God's plan for his worship had not changed. David had set up the organization of the temple and God's way of being worship and the system of sacrifice and praise and worship at the temple that was not destroyed by their disobedience. And I think at the root of that is a principle that applies even to us today. We are not free to decide how we will worship God either. Yes, we are no longer, praise God, under the Old Testament law and sacrificial system, we have the benefit of knowing the full sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice in our Lord Jesus Christ. The final atoning work of redemption has been done in Christ alone. Yet, no matter our circumstances, no matter the turmoil around us, God, as we've seen in the pages of First Chronicles, is worthy of our worship and worthy to be worshiped according to his word. Notice how the writer of 1 Chronicles continues to go back to the revealed history found in the pages of Scripture, of the, of the accounts in 1 and 2 Samuel, and, and as we'll see later, 1 and 2 Kings, pointing them back to what has already been written and pointing them back to the Word of God. God is still on His throne, and His gracious promises and His glorious purposes cannot fail. And David's account here in the book of 1 Chronicles begins to come to a close. And, and I just want to draw your attention to, to one more thing in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Listen to David's prayer in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10. Please read, read along with me in your copy of God's word. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Again, friend, if you are struggling with how you are to pray, come to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and pray along with David. And David's life, his righteous life, his, 
his desire for God's holiness, his desire for God's worship, his joy at the restoration of the ark, his passion for a permanent dwelling place for the Lord, his hard work to prepare his son Solomon to be able to build this glorious temple to the one true and living God. This recount of righteous King David ends at the end of chapter 29. Then he died in a ripe old age, full of days, riches and honor, and his son Solomon reigned in his place. Such great hope at the end of 1 Chronicles. And as the book continues, we will see that promise continue into future generations. And we'll look at that more next time. But as we begin to, to conclude our time together, at this point in the book of Chronicles, at the end of 1 Chronicles, we've seen this theme of God's gracious promises and his purposes for Israel have not been destroyed by Israel's sin. There was hope for the people of the Lord, for the people of Israel, that as they began to restore the right worship of the Lord in the newly built temple in Jerusalem after the exile, that they could have confidence that they were worshiping the same gracious God who had preserved the remnant of his people throughout their years in exile according to his ways and not theirs. But though the worship at the temple continued after the exile, the kingship of David did not. Well, as I mentioned, we'll look next time at how the Davidic covenant played out in the rest of Israel's history through the righteous kings of Judah. But the ultimate fulfillment of this promise of a forever king to David would come to the one who was of David's line. And I want to draw your attention to a verse that you've read many times before, but maybe not in the same way. The New Testament begins in Matthew 1, verse 1, with these words, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then how does the rest of Matthew begin? With a genealogy showing the royal line of King Jesus. Similar, echoing in my mind with the beginning of 1 Chronicles. I think I, I've, I've personally decided that I want to read through the books of Chronicles in November in preparation for Advent because they set up this expectation of the king who is to come. And listen to the words of Peter in Acts 2, 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted, exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus, 
whom you crucified. It is our Lord Jesus who is the fulfillment of the promises to David. And it is our Lord Jesus in his atoning work on the cross that is the fulfillment of David's desire for worship of the Lord. Reflecting on God's great promises and glorious purposes for the people of Israel, I think should remind us at Christians, as Christians to look to the true and better Adam, the pure and perfect son of David, our Lord Jesus, and worship him for his gracious promises and glorious purposes for his redeemed people, for us, the church, from every tribe and nation. And look forward to a day when King Jesus returns to rule, for he will one day rule from the new Jerusalem and will dwell with his people, not in the temple, on the site of Ornan the Jebusite's threshing floor, and not as he does now through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, but one day we will be with our King Jesus face to face. As Revelation says, behold, the dwelling place with God is among men as he will come to dwell among his people. So as you read through the book of First Chronicles, and I would exhort you to do that, take time and read through it. If you struggle with pronunciations, find a good audio Bible and let the narrator pronounce it for you and read along and look for these themes that we've looked at, God's covenant to Israel and his plans for worship were not destroyed. The line of David was not destroyed by the exile. David's greater son would come. Remember God's gracious choice of Israel, of David, of Solomon, that God's plans are of his choice firstly. Notice the importance of seeking the Lord versus going your own way. For it was the true and better son of David who said, seek and you will find. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And Christian, may you find in First Chronicles great examples of prayer and praise to feed your own soul and stir your own worship of our great God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the treasure of 1 Chronicles. Lord, we were only able to look at a little bit and I know my, my failings and I, I pray that your word would ring in our ears, that your spirit would stir in our hearts a desire to know this book more, to know the God of this book more, to worship you, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God the one who is gracious and merciful. And may our hearts join with David and pray, O Lord, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. For yours, Lord Jesus, for yours, Father, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.